the um, parts of being an ordained minister in the United Church of Christ is that part of the ordination process, really the very end part of it that some of you will probably be familiar with, is that in order to have that final part, that final service of ordination, the minister has to have what's called an ordainable call, right? Now, anybody that's been through this process might have experienced frustration. Not going to name any names or point any fingers. But the thing is, what we mean by ordainable call is that we uh, mean that it needs to be a, a, a job that this minister is going to with certain requirements. Now, I don't know what the requirements are now, actually. I know that for me, when I was in the process and I was going through the Metropolitan Boston Association, which prides itself on being the most difficult association in the denomination to get through, that those requirements included a certain number of hours and a certain amount of pay and a certain amount of um, uh, benefits and all of these sorts of things. And so when I was going through the process, I had two of my children in process. Actually, technically, all three of my children were born while I was still in process. And uh, it was a lot of what felt like hoops at the time. I was frustrated quite frequently because it was years of not just schooling and examinations, but additional pro projects and, and, and meetings and, and approvals at every stage. And then you get all the way through there, and you're approved for ordination pending a call. And you have to wait for this ordainable call that isn't just a job in a church. It isn't just what we mean by calling so often, which is, which is a community that is calling a leader who needs a leader and wants me. That's, that wasn't enough, at least not then. There had to be these extra hoops. So there were times when I was in that process. Well, I'm going to say this. I went from approved for ordination pending a call to ordained. It took me four years. <laughs> I know other people have had even longer. Uh, and so in that time where I was frustrated, I remember thinking, you know, other denominations don't do it this way. I could have become disciples of Christ, Baptist, or Unitarian Universalist, and I wouldn't have to be waiting for this darn ordainable call. I would just be ordained by now. It was very frustrating. But I think back now, and I am pretty glad that I am UCC. Now, I'm glad I'm UCC mostly for way bigger reasons than the polity of the way we do ordination. But I will say that there is something about the way that we frame call as not just coming from the individual, and not even just coming from the relationship between the individual and the community. But a third thing, which is having a stake in something together. Right? 
Now, that's one of the things that we mean when we talk about covenant. But I'm saying something about saying not just do I feel called to ministry, and not just does this church or this community want me to lead them, but that we've both put something up for it. I'm putting up my time and my passion and my spirit, and they're going to put up some money and some commitment and some, and, and, and some, yeah, some care of me and my family. That part of calling is actually really powerful. And I'm grateful now as an ordained minister in this system that I, that I had to go through that process. Now, just a little side note, I will admit that the, the process is really not geared towards the way that we do ministry now and is really un, unjust towards women and people of color and all these other side things. So I'm not unmindful of that. But for the purposes of this conversation, I do think that most of us, once we finally get through it, are glad that we had to have an ordainable call before that stole was placed upon us. Jesus in this scripture goes out to fish for people. He doesn't go out to fish for uh, buildings or book studies. He doesn't even go out to fish for believers or people that agree with him. Right? He fishes for people, and he, and he takes those people, and he teaches them how to fish for other people, too. Now, I know we're in a phase, a period in the life of this church where there is, there is change. And for the most part, uh, I've learned that I'm supposed to say change is hard. I struggle because I'm not really that one of those believers, I don't, I don't believe change is hard really all the time because I love it. There are some of us that love change. But so over the years, I've learned that that isn't, that isn't necessarily normal or average at least. And so I've learned different ways to talk about change that help other people understand what I love about it. So, so just coincidentally this morning... I was checking Facebook, and uh, uh, I follow a group that's about, um, uh, does work in the justice area around birth. Uh, There's a lot of injustice in maternal care. Um, But nonetheless, they had posted um, a a piece about um, award-winning photographs of childbirth. And there were uh, photographs uh, of like the, the first place color photograph, the first place black and white photograph. And there was also the first place photograph of a hospital birth and a first place out of hospital birth. And I loved that it was expanding what we tend to think of birth looking like. And then I was reminded that one of my favorite ways to talk about how beautiful change can be is to talk about children. It starts from day one when they're born into the world and they change everything. No matter what, whether they're the firstborn or the middle or the last, they change everything. 
But they don't stop changing on that first day, and they don't stop changing the world on that first day. You know, in my house, uh, we know that um, it should not ever be my job to go through the clothing that the children have grown out of. Because I will cry, and I will in some way acquire a new baby life. So, so first it was Gus, and then it was Mary, and then it was our dogs, and now Mark knows to put away the clothing that the children grow out of. Because it makes me sad. I love, not as much now, Jed's clothes are too big. It's not fun anymore. But I loved holding those baby sleepers And I just can't, anybody that's ever really like held a baby, you can still remember the way that it feels in your hand and the way they smell and then they grow out of it. And for me, it's just so heartbreaking, isn't it? Oh, my friends with older children talk about when they go away to college and how hard it is, but how on the other hand, how wonderful it is to see them growing into the adults that they're called to be. And I think children are one of the ways that we can remember that change is not always bad and hard, but change is beautiful and so full of opportunity. I think about how um, none of my kids are babies anymore, and, and uh, when I see somebody with a baby now, I think I finally am starting to understand why grandparents are so happy. <laughs> you know, they have this like, grandparents just have this like joy about them. And I think it's not just about children and babies. There's something about finding peace with change. I think that's something that grandparents have a sense of even if they don't articulate it that way. There's something actually really beautiful about change. Because every moment that is passing also has within it the thing that is coming. So right now as a church, we're in a place of change. And it's hard, so I hear. <laughs> But it's also so ripe with opportunity This morning, as, as uh, uh, Mark, my husband, and I, we're, so I'm the preacher and he's the worship leader, and we're sitting down to look at the bulletin, and, and, and we realize, you know, we could split this up differently if we wanted to. There's an opportunity. There's so much opportunity in the way that we gather here in this space, the way that we live into our calling to be church, And ultimately, the way that we live into our calling to be fishers of other people. So we know um, from the children's message, right, we know that the church isn't actually the building, right? And we know that the church isn't just the steeple. And, and I guess I'm wondering, do we know, though, that the church also isn't just these people, Right? This morning during the children's message, you all played into my plan perfectly. You named so many different people and ways that you all are the church 
beyond Sunday morning and beyond the people that are here right now. There are so many ways that St. Paul's is the church beyond Sunday morning and beyond even the people that you know on a first name basis. And so I wonder if really what we're trying to figure out is how to say, this is the building, this is the steeple, here is the church of all the people and beyond. The church is beyond the walls, there's the people. The church is beyond the walls and there's all the people. Because we're called not just to fish for people to join us, to come into the building. We're called to be fishers to create the life of the gospel, to bring about God's will on earth as it is in heaven, to love one another as ourselves. Children of God, we are the people of God. We are the people who are called, and so are all the people who aren't here. So our homework, I think, is to come up with a new way to say this that has a better ring to it than what I'm coming up with. But it's something about the church being the people beyond the walls. Can I get an amen? Amen.